Welcome to the Supply Chain Careers Leadership Podcast, and I'm your host, Chris Gaffney, and I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Mike Ogle and Rodney Apple. We're excited in this series to talk about a number of key impact areas for leadership and development for supply chain professionals, students, and employees. We're going to talk about how you can work more effectively as an individual to create your own space for development, how you can differentiate in the workforce, how you can chart your own path to grow and develop, and how you can guide your own career. So sit back and enjoy the ride. This podcast is made possible by SCM Talent Group, the industry-leading supply chain executive search firm. Visit SCM Talent Group at scmtalent.com. To search for or to post supply chain jobs, visit the Supply Chain Job Board at supplychaincareers.com. Welcome back to the Supply Chain Careers podcast. This is the leadership series featuring Chris Gaffney, Senior Supply Chain Executive. This will be episode four. Chris, welcome back. Look forward to uh, getting into the topic here. And uh, with that said, I'll turn it over to you to let our audience know what we're going to get into today with the leadership series. Thanks, Rodney and Mike. And I think we've got another good one today. And, and, you know, kind of if you place it in perspective, episode four. So we've kind of talked about um, your next career step and, and how do you make sure you you make a move you won't regret um, in a thoughtful way. We've talked about work-life balance and, and how you kind of find that Zen state in all four quadrants of your life. And then we've talked about, you know, blind spots and how do you, you get good at get better at seeing them and then overcoming them. So, you know, we, we've got four overall themes for the, the podcast journey, and we're starting to fill in some of the blanks. And so what we're going to talk about today kind of touches almost all of them. So as a reminder, you know, number one for us is how to work effectively and create the time and space for development. Number two is how to differentiate in the workplace. Number three is how do I grow? And number four is where am I headed in building that career path? So to today, the topic we have, I, I think really, you know, hits square in the center of number one, how to work effectively, but it really enables the other three. And so we're gonna, we're gonna talk about personal productivity today but that's about creating the time. And, and I think, you know, it, it's a combination of creating the time and then creating the reputation that you can do what you said you do, you will do. So again, I think it's a pretty meaty topic. So looking forward to kind of diving in. Chris, this topic seems to hit home with you. Uh, what is your personal story and experience with your own personal productivity? Yep. You know, and, and the reality is all of these episodes have some basis in my traveling over the years, ups and downs, trials and tribulations and successes and failures. This one is particularly emotional. And, and I, I literally can remember, uh, you know, a Friday night driving home um, from, from Coca-Cola, a long commute into the Northern suburbs. And, you know, what I, what I had in front of me was my wife and four small kids who were ready to kind of have a Friday night, whether that was Friday night, Mexican night, or whatever it was, and then a busy weekend, probably of kids' sports and social things in church. But behind me was another week where I feel like, you know, I didn't get everything done. And, you know, I had stuff hanging over my head. 
wasn't in a clear place in terms of going home and focusing on family. And I literally said, you know, I could take the next exit. I could turn around, go back to the office, sleep at the office, work all weekend, and my list would still not be complete. And, and I realized that I did not have natural ability to kind of triage my work and, and make sure the right stuff popped up. And I, I really said something had to change. And so that's kind of when I went on the, you know, the search to, to say, who does this well? How can I bring in some enablers to help me, you know, kind of survive in advance from, you know, from a life and career standpoint? Yeah, Chris, I don't think there's anyone out there that can say I'm, I'm super good at this, um, even CEOs of the top companies, because uh, I think we all struggle with it in our own unique ways. And uh, I think from my perspective, being uh, in recruitment for my whole career, one of the very few jobs where you're the kind of the middleman or broker, you know, between people on the company or employer side and you know, people on the uh, on the candidate side and trying to bring those together. And when you multiply that by, you know, lots of companies you work with, lots of candidates uh, and competing priorities and the, the common fires that pop up. Uh, and then you got your whole personal life and, and, and trying to maintain productivity with the honey to do list. Uh, it's an ongoing struggle. And uh, I, I personally have struggled with it. Um, you know, I'll use the term off and on because, you know, there's days when you're, you feel like you got a lot done and there's days where you're like, where did the day go? So, so I'm looking forward to getting into this and, and honestly hoping to learn uh, from you and uh, the things that you've experienced because we all have room for improvement in this particular area. Yeah, and Chris and Rodney, this one really hit home with me too. Uh, I tended to be a little too much of a yes first person both when I was on the industry side and on the academic side as well. And too many times, whether it was meetings or individual conversations where somebody was asking, you know, who wanted to volunteer to be on what project or what committee? And I'd think, well, that sounds interesting to me. Count me in. Uh, but I really wasn't focusing on how it would affect my own ability to be able to get things done that I'd clearly already promised other people. So, you know, it really became too much of a fear of missing out kind of experience rather than how my involvement would really help the company overall. You know, why me specifically, my teams or my clients, you know, plus helps or hurts my own career path, you know, in volunteering for something. So I think it's always important to be able to consider that trade-off. You know, it, it could be a, a great boundary stretching opportunity that you can fit into your work. You know, I've had some of those volunteer moments that have turned into great new opportunities that take you on a you know, unexpected path. But at the same time, it's a learned art. And so being aware that those trade-offs are there and being able to use your best judgment regarding whether you're going too far, I think is critical. Yeah, guilty. Guilty of the, of the yes man and aiming to please. And I know, Chris, you mentioned Coke, and I remember my time very well across those six plus years. And when I came in, there were two of us. Uh, There's somebody that had the corporate functions and then I had the 22 factories and she left. I inherited uh, the corporate functions uh, and then got the global functions and then all kinds of things thrown at me. And I aimed to please, I'd take on more and more and more. And, and, uh, and at some point you realize, okay, this is not a one person job. Hey, you're getting it done, Rodney. Uh, why do you think you need more help? And then you find yourself pleading 
to get more help. And uh, I don't know, it was it was a, a whirlwind to learn a lot back in those days. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have to know when to say no. Sometimes you have to build a business case uh, when you do need that help and justify, you know, not just personally or selfishly what, you know, what it's going to do for you and your schedule and getting things done, but really back to the company. And if you can put it in back in the company, the value they're going to get out of it, sometimes that helps to to get those uh, those wins and, and get some much needed help. That was at least my experience. So anyway, well, back over to you, Chris, just sharing a couple of perspectives. I think we're not alone, right? And and I think our audience, if they've taken the time to listen to the series, they're they're typically in that high achiever space. They are focused on their own development and advancement. And you know, I, I think everybody deals with, but I think it's acute with high achievers given some of the stuff that 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 you all have discussed. But you know, statistics on this are pretty brutal, right? And I'll refer to Stephen Covey because I think some of the tools that Covey has come up with are relevant. But Covey talks about the whirlwind and he basically says, you know, potentially 80 to 90% of your work week is consumed in the whirlwind. And that is something that he basically says, it's never going to go away, right? It's not unique to you. Um, it's a reality. So you've got to come up with your strategies to accomplish your goals in spite of the whirlwind. And I think he gives us hope when he says, if you can get really thoughtful about the best use of 10 to 20% of your week, you can be different than 95% of the folks that are out there. Um, a lot of the, the, the content that I referred has stood the test of time. And one of the things that's been you know, changing over my career lifespan has been the dominance of email. And, and you know, it, the stat today says over 28% of work time is spent on email. So email is, is a hindrance in, in this reality um, but the, you know, the facts and the other symptoms of this that I think people will relate to are the fact that, you know, you can work your whole week on things that are not important and not urgent, but you could be super busy. Uh, you can be invited to and, you know, attend meetings with no outcome. You can be part of project teams that have no plans and you could see your calendar get consumed and in, in that span of your calendar, 40, 50 plus hours a week, you find very little time to do what you would call actual work, process the things that are out there. That's the call to action. And that's the common thread that's out there. The sinister piece of it is it's a huge employee engagement issue and it's a huge self-confidence issue. There are plenty of people who say, you know, I've lost my mojo. I, I used to be able to get stuff done and now I'm struggling, whether my world's gotten more complex or I've taken on a team. So whether you are an individual or a team leader, you know, this is a real thing. And, and you know, I've got another um, anecdote or, or graphic I found, and it's one of those classic t-shirts that, that the kids wear. It says, procrastinators unite tomorrow, right? And so procrastination is, is a bedeviling element of that. So I, I'm hoping we can talk about some of the things that'll help us um, tackle that and what we found to be successful. Another aspect that uh, people tend to run into as well is it, it's one of the old stories about how the frog, if you put them in the pan uh, and it's already hot or it's a big change from what they were, they were used to, then they'll jump right away. But if you slowly turn up the heat, they'll stay there until they boil. We can talk about pieces to this puzzle that, that, that kind of help people get to get to a better place. And, you know, 
I, I think the why is pretty compelling. And, and the why may be all those classic kind of things that, oh, I want to be more effective. I want to take on more responsibilities. I want to make more money. Um, if I have my own business, I want my business to be successful. And that requires me to be really effective at use of my time. I, I want to clear the deck at work so I can spend time with family and friends and not sweat it. And or if I'm a student, um, I want to be more effective in project work and preparing for classes and preparing for tests. And I want to get good grades. So there's something in it for everybody. But but I will tell you, for me, the soft side of it was more compelling. It created a huge stressor in my life. And if that was the number one motive for me was to, to frankly, you know, get myself to a place where I actually felt like it was feasible to get work done, be effective and, and live a normal life connecting back to some of our other chapters. So Chris, can you talk about what is at stake for the people that are struggling with their own personal productivity? Yeah, I mean, beyond all the kind of me things, the, the reality is you're at work, um, you have a role. And if you're, and frankly, we could talk about school as well, um, but, but you have an output that's expected of you. And if you are struggling in this area and it ultimately limits your ability to deliver against your core work responsibility, you know, it, at minimum, it's going to limit your advancement, right? You're, you're going to be one of those people who somebody says, nice person, glad to have them on the team, thought, you know, they had everything we needed for the role, but they're not able to translate it into output. And, and either, you know, you're, you're lower at the end of the year on ratings and potential rewards and or somebody says, I just don't see this person advancing or they don't, if they can't handle this, I'm not comfortable that we can give them more. And worst case, somebody says, hey, you know, we're, we're in an organizational space where we're about, you know, delivering results and this person may not be a fit. So I think there's a lot at stake. And obviously we talk about students and if it's, you know, highly competitive, it's one thing to say I'm not getting all A's, but it's another thing to say I'm not passing my classes and or, you know, my end result doesn't, you know, put me in a situation where I can compete either for grad school acceptances or the kind of jobs that I want. So the reality is there's, there's a tremendous amount at stake um, for, for folks in this boat. So I guess, Chris, that leads us into, you know, you talked about the why, what's at stake, what can go wrong, and so many things can go wrong, whether you're a student or a professional, um, an executive, uh, and what have you. Um, but what what do you think are some of the key elements, uh, the secret to success when it comes to improving uh, personal productivity? Yep. And I, I'll talk about a lot of specific things, but think about where I was in my career at that point. And, and I would say, if you're in a good place with your whoever is your manager, boss, or leader, and you can have an honest discussion out of the gate to say, I'm trying to be self-aware, see my blind spots, and I am struggling with this, and I'm committed to um, take steps to improve it, I'm committed to use resources, but I, I do want you as my boss to know that I'm going to work on this, I, I would welcome your support. And if you can get that out of the gate, I think that that really helps you. If you can't, then I think you go at it on your own. But if you can do it in a, in a situation where you're aligned with your leadership on it, I think that's that's ideal state. So I, I kind of start 
start there. And then, Chris, what about for the students listening? Uh, how would they go about that? You know, that uh, self awareness, but also bringing it forward uh, to get some support. Yep, and I and I I will tell you, I in in my day, I was pretty good at this, right? And and I having had four kids go through the university system, mentoring a lot of kids. The good news is most professors still offer office hours these days. Um, and, and for many professors, those are still not well attended. I am confident that the vast majority of people who are in academia are actually interested in seeing their students be successful. So no different than your boss, go see the prof and say, this is where I am. I, I want to dig out of the ditch and see if I can make this work. If I've got an advisor, you know, in most schools, even large schools, you still have an academic advisor. And I think increasingly, many schools have academic support resources for free for students. In the old days, you had to pay for tutors, but I think it's more common than not. So I would, you know, pull the and on. Um, and, and if you've got peers, whether you've got, you know, people you know with who are a year or two ahead of you in school, I would crowdsource the heck out of that. But it, it is not something that you should have to do on your own. So I'm confident in both a work or an academic setting if you seek help in this area, it, it exists. And I, Mike, I don't know if you would validate that or have a different or some additional thoughts on that. Yeah, being on the academic side, I think you did a really good job on that. And when you're, you made the statement about office hours being underutilized, that was understated. <laughs> there, are, there are too many people, uh, it, the ones that you'll tend to see or the ones that set up a, a Zoom call with me that might be outside of office hours time because they want to be able to have that chance to, to interact. And maybe there's a conflict with their other, other things that they're doing. Uh, but they're the ones that reach out, but they tend to be the A and B students because yep. they're wanting to do better. They tend to be the, the higher achievers. Uh, and then the only times that I tend to hear from those who are way behind are at the end of the semester when they're asking, well, what can I do? And I say, get a time machine. Yeah, the, the best day to deal with this is um, the first day of the semester or the first, first day in the job. The next best day is today, okay? So I think, you know, coming to grips with this is, uh, you know, whenever you get there, um, I think you literally can flip the switch. And, and obviously it's a journey, but I think you can bear, bear fruit pretty quickly. And the other thing I'm might toss in there is just being able to reach out to others as well. So if you're on the professional side, I mean, you mentioned a lot of good resources, I think, for students that covered a lot of ground, uh, whether it's people that are in their clubs, people that they're doing other kinds of activities with, because it, it's more general than just a specific class. So you can get help out of that. But when it's on the professional side as well, then the people that are your peers and mentors and, and some of your LinkedIn contacts and you know others that you trust in, in the industry of just being able to establish those connections. Because once they feel that they're able to help you, they'll also reach back to you. And it's almost like an automatic strengthener of, of those links. Yeah. I was going to say too, you know, what, what if you're, you're the head person in charge. <laughs> um, you know, you've got to extend, lend on that, uh, lean on that network uh, that you have, and uh, obviously be a good delegator. But you know, having those uh, mentors and coaches and um, and resources at your fingertips, and knowing when you need that, you know, it's still critical whether you're um, a frontline employee or, or whether you're the person that's the head honcho. Well, we've got a future episode on. Uh cultivating and managing your internal and external network. And 
this is absolutely an element of this. And, you know, I'll, I'll make one point, you know, at some point in my career, whether it was after 2008 or something like that, I saw a market shift in people's willingness to help those in their network, whether there were a lot of people who had personal challenges, work challenges or whatever. I would tell all of our listeners that you're in a climate today where people are generally open to helping you in a peer mentor coach kind of environment, both internal to your environment, academia or company or external. So we'll talk more about that one, but that's absolutely a key point. Great. Well, Chris, what are some of the other uh, elements uh, to help improve personal productivity? I know you've got a lot more uh, to say on this. Yep. I mean, I, I would, I always tell people if you're serious about this space, you know, something that's been out there for a number of years is David Allen's book called Getting Things Done. And I, I'm not a paid David Allen uh, in, endorser, but he has modernized what he's done. But I, I still think the basics of that, that book and the tools that are in that book um, can really be a great starting point for folks because it's just a matter of, of providing some basic context to the things that are in front of you. And he's got a five-step process where you can kind of capture everything that is, you know, that is being asked of you. You have the ability to kind of clarify what your real task is or your next step or next steps in, in against those, you know, organize those, get them triaged, if you will, and then step back, you know, in terms of, you know, what the real set of priorities are and then get to it. Okay. And I'm oversimplifying it, but it's a set of resources. They've got a lot of free resources, but, you know, I, I always say to people, you could buy this book used on eBay for three bucks. So it's not a, it's not a heavy lift in terms of economics. And I also would say the first 30 to 50 pages of that book give, give you something to do right out of the gate. So my overall system has a heavy dose of, of David Allen in it. And I would say the other kind of outside, you know, resource that I think really is a other key element for me is Covey's um, Four Disciplines of Execution. And again, lots of, you know, stuff in the open domain about that tool set, but it's really, you know, focuses on a concept that they call the wildly important goal is really making a clear distinction of those things that you as an individual and or a team and or an organization can really focus on and get distinctive results. And they use a lot of great stats out there. And if they, you know, they say to an individual in any one time bucket, you know, whether that be a week or a month or a quarter, can really only provide distinctive results if they focus on a maximum of three large priorities, right? Big rocks. And, you know, I, I think that principle proven, if you try to do four, you don't, you're not successful on three you kind of immediately go to zero, right? So they really say, give somebody one primary focus, two or no more than three. Um, and, and that principle was very helpful to me. And, and what I would tell you, we ultimately saw that for individuals and teams is then translating that into a focus for the week. And back to this whirlwind thing, say to people, all I want from you this week are three exceptional hours. I accept that this whirlwind exists if you've got a tactical job, but I want you to plan and book three defined hours against objectives that we've defined as wildly important. And 
really go in and and really focus in that hour in translating something, you know, moving the rock forward in a project, having a, a core project team that that advances a deliverable. And Covey says, if you do that, you're ahead of lots of people. And, and I think, you know, really good practitioners can get, you know, more than three hours a week. But if you could first get to three and have a plan each week, that's great. And then there's simple tactics. Do that early in the week. Do it early in the day. Don't save it for Friday afternoon at three. And you can then start to feel some, some success, right? I come in early in the day and do my most important thing. I've already won the day. My psychology is already better. If I get my two or three wigs done by Wednesday, I, I've already won and I could look forward. So th those two things I think are, are kind of great resources that, that I think in combination, they're both great individually, but I always felt like the combination of the two moved you from tactical processing of work. And, and that's really, to me, David Allen's view. And the wigs is stepping back and connecting to organizational realities and or I have to get an A on biochem in order to get into med school. It's more important than my history class. That kind of distinction to me is where Covey really can help you. Okay. Wonderful. During this short break, we recognize that this podcast is made possible by SCM Talent Group, the industry leading supply chain executive search firm. Visit SCM Talent Group at scmtalent.com. To search for or to post supply chain jobs, visit the supply chain job board at supplychaincareers.com. So I, I think beyond that, then you've got to deal with a couple of the things that are part of your reality and, and really can both either help you or enable you. And I think both, you know, both Covey and David Allen would tell you that your email inbox is either your best friend or your worst enemy and your calendar is a critical resource. So, you know, it, if I talk about, you know, email, there are lots of approaches to that. You can look out there and there are, you know, email inbox zero folks that are out there. There's a guy that I follow, Paul Miners, M-I-N-O-R-S, who offers really great tips on sorting through your email. You know, and I would just say when I used to work for my with my team is if you're inbox zero, I think you're gold star. You know, if you can keep your inbox to, you know, a page of things, right? You know, I would say, believe it or not, I'm inbox, I try to be inbox 100, believe it or not. Anything below 100, I consider myself under control. But if you tell me you have 49,000 emails in your inbox, then I think you got a problem. And I, I literally had some people say, take it all, edit, copy, put it all in a hold file and turn your inbox e in back to zero um, because you're very tempted to live in that world of email. So I think you've got to have an email strategy. And again, I think there are good rules that are out there. There's a lot you can do to automate both how your inbox process is inbound and outbound that can really give you some sanity in that space. Um, so I think inbox is key. And I think the calendar is the other one. And this is where I think you have to you have to manage your calendar instead of letting your calendar manage you. And that requires a little bit of forethought. I, I literally think if you could spend 30 minutes a week looking forward at your calendar for the next week or two, you know, at minimum, you can understand what you're really up against. You can also see if your calendar has problems in it, like you're supposed to be in two cities on the same day, or you've got two critical things that overlap. And you know, time is precious in, in managing a calendar and looking forward. Um, 
it always stinks to have scheduled a client engagement and then realize that was actually a planned family vacation day. So you've got to you've got to find a way to get you know get a forward view of your calendar so that you at least you know aren't in a situation where you can't even live up to what's on your calendar. And then I think taking control of your calendar starts to starts to say forward planning, work time, think time, no matter what. Even if you're a first shift supervisor on a production line and you need to be on the floor most of the day, you should find a way where you can protect, if you're in that situation, an hour uh, a day of your time. Um, and if you say that's impossible, I'd say start with an hour a week and then work yourself forward. But start to create time for you you in your calendar. Um, so I, I think that's important. There are lots of people who use scheduling apps. If you see people using Calendly and that type of thing, and that helps people get on your calendar and only have access to time that works. It's harder if you're a junior person and you're subject to other people's whims on calendar and they, they just randomly schedule over top of commitments you have. Then I think the simple answer there is, is being productive. I think there's a lot at stake when it comes to um, email and calendar, but there are great tools out there to help you just start to stabilize you know, those two resources. And Chris, a question here. I don't work from home a lot. You can see I'm in an office. Uh, I'm at home and I hear this ding, ding, ding. And I look over, my wife's in the other room and she's got this constant ding, ding of email notifications coming in. And I went over there and I told her, I turned that off like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And uh, I would encourage you to do that. She's in a different environment. It's a, it's more of a pressure cooker, but uh you know, what are your thoughts there on on allocating time to check email, voicemail, cutting those ringers off? From my perspective, I just got an iPhone watch and, uh, you know, the phone stays out and it's a distraction. And so what I have found is that uh, by putting the phone away, it's a lot easier for me to just cut a glimpse. Is this something urgent? And I can just turn it off. Boom, boom, boom versus picking up the phone and then, oh, there's some other notifications on there. But I'd love to hear your perspective, like notifications and time, uh, allocating time to check these things, because you know they can obviously distract and get in the way of getting things done. Yeah, I, I think it, it gets to a topic that, that is worth talking about. It's the concept of multitasking. And, and I recall early in my career, two events. Number one, somebody said, you're the best person I know at multitasking. And I was like, well, that's nice. And then I had a, another situation where, where I was in a meeting with a senior leader and, and he was conducting a meeting, but it was early in the days of laptops and everyone had one. And he all of a sudden got really upset at the folks in the room. And he said, guys, this isn't fair. I'm trying to get something done. And I know you're working on your email and I can't work on mine. So I'm getting behind while you're getting ahead. And I went and read the research on multitasking and they said, there's no such thing. Your mind cannot actually effectively do this. And so if this is your reputation, it's actually not a very good reputation. So my long answer to that is, you know, if you're an ER doc and you're on call and, you know, the next code blue could be somebody's life, then that's a different situation. Um, but in a normal situation where unless there's a life and death call and you may, you know, you may be able to set up your phone where if your wife calls, it cuts through. And I always think you take family calls, whether it's your parents, your spouse, or your kids. So let's put that aside, that they should have a clear path to you. And I think you can configure phones and devices that way. But beyond that, you know, put the automatic, you know, responses out there that says, I commit to check um, email and text 
every X, every 30 minutes, every 60 minutes, and give yourself chunks of time. If you're in a meeting, be present in that meeting and be respectful and be a good participant. Um, if it's if you're driving, you know, most states say don't do it. And I'm not great at this. So my, my own stakeholders will say you still got work to do. And the answer is yes. Um, but be present and be focused in at least those 30 or 60 minute chunks. And then if you have to give yourself time. I mean, I know lots of people are working on meetings end at 55 and start at five past. And I've got 10 minutes for one function. You can define what that is, snack, email, check, whatever it is. Um, but really, like I say, this is about where you can taking control of your day. Um, and so that's where I think it gets to a key point for me, back to the first point, if you can align with your boss, once you get into this game and you start to make some progress, then I think you can go back in and sit down with your boss and say, I'm trying to do this in service of me supporting your team. And here's how I'm doing it. Okay. I've identified based on our discussion of our annual plan or our business objectives that these are the most important things you are asking of me. And I'm placing differential focus against these things. Um, and if I have a transactional accountability, here's how I'm managing my commitment to my transactional, internal, external customers. This is my level of response. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to do these things. I'm establishing a beginning and end to my day. This is how I'm going to be available off hours or not. Um, and, and negotiate that with your boss. And what I would tell you, my experience is 90 plus percent of the time, my boss has said, I'm good with this. Let's try this for the next 30 or 60 days and or one or two minor tweaks. Because if you can get to that point, then you can go try this experiment, learn, come back 60 days later and say, boss, this is how I think I'm doing and or you know, tell me if this is working or not. So I, I think all those things start to tie together back to what your commitments are to others in your sphere. So here's a couple of other things that I think start to be how you influence those around you. And so this can be for peers. This can also be for people leaders with your folks. Um, it, it starts to get back to the, you know, the deadly meeting, right? And there's all stats around you know, how meetings are unproductive. They are still a reality um, in, to, to, to some or another degree in most cultures that I I still interact with, okay? And even if you're in school, you're on project team meetings. And if you're a professor, academic team meetings or whatever, you know, to me, it's the basics for meetings. If, if you are hosting a meeting or you are asked to attend a meeting, I think it's fair to ask, what is the desired outcome of this meeting? What are we trying to accomplish today? It's also fair to say, I'd like to understand what the agenda is, how we will use the time. Um, is there pre-work? Are there things that I can do in advance of the meeting so that I am prepared to be an effective participant? And then who's in the meeting? Do we have the right people? Plus or minus, right? Not too many, not too many. It's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, just right. And is there someone who will be taking notes? Do you need help? I'll take the notes. Is there somebody timekeeping so that we can, you know, we can get in and get out and not, you know, not in the day of virtual and hybrid, be it 59 of the hour and then trying to confirm what we agreed to. 
And are we going to agree to document actions and notes so that there was a record that this meeting occurred and something could come out for? I think in this day and age, that is a reasonable expectation as a participant. You might have to be a little bit bold. You might have to say, I will, I'm willing to help if that's not our culture, but start role modeling it. And I think in most cultures, if you are a team leader, um, you're going to get more followers versus detractors if you start practicing this kind of discipline. So I think meeting hygiene, given that meetings are a reality, I think is critical. Um, I think the other one, um, I'll talk about projects. And you know, at the extreme, we have large structured projects, and it might be you know a, a big capital project, a big software development, you're writing a book or, or something super macro like that. Um, and for those, you need a project plan and people may pull out tools like Microsoft Office or something very exotic. That's an extreme and, and that deserves the discipline of its own. What I found and I think what David Allen writes about is something he calls a mini project. And that is something that doesn't have a thousand steps, but it can't be done in one slice of the apple. And I, I think mini projects are something that bedevils up. There might be five to six steps and it might require one action this week and one action next week and one action the following week. And I actually use a tool for that, that, that my good friend Lee Beard, who, who now leads a lot of what goes on at Nordstrom in their supply chain, he took away from the early Michael Dell culture at Dell Computer. And it's called a PIR chart. And he, basically in there, it's a simple Excel spreadsheet. We can probably put a link to that in the, in the show notes. Nothing fancy, nothing proprietary but you list your mini projects. You basically list a priority one to three. You exist, you list a status of completion with five being not started and zero being finished. And so three is the high priority. You have another column that's the product of those two. And then inside of the following column, you say, what are our next actions? And you put in your five or six steps. And each week you spin that thing and sort it high to low. And it helps you a little bit with your wig focus. And it's a very simple tool. And it was a good addition to me when I had things that were not some massive super project with a dedicated project manager, and I couldn't just get done in, in one step. So I think the mini project is um, it's something else that, that is kind of tricky, but is a reality for a lot of us. I was updating mine today for, um, uh, for several projects going on at the house. Uh, as you walk by and see something like, Better add that to the list and then prioritize it. So, got a handyman coming in next week. So, uh, that's a it's a good good system to have uh, for not just your personal or your work productivity, but on the personal front as well. Yep, I'll give you a couple more final ones. And and I find this when I'm leading groups, and I have empathy for folks. And you know, the last couple of years have just you know up the ante that people really don't have time. If I'm leading a large project. In many cases, if I have a sub work stream uh, meeting and I see the teams are getting behind, um, I do something that some of my favorite professors and teachers did back in the day. Um, they would leave time for homework in class. And they might say, I'm only gonna lecture for 15 minutes today. And then I want you to work on your project and I'm gonna walk around and I'm gonna help you. And or the we've, we've got a deliverable as a team and you know, everyone's struggling with it. We are literally just going to spend the time trying to advance the ball. Um, you will again make lots of friends if um, 
if you can announce homework in class. Um, so I think that's one that crosses the bridge between the acad academic and the, and the work world. Um, and, you know, and I think for me, just a final couple people pieces of advice, David Allen always says, once you get a system like this up and functioning, the one thing you will have in common with all practitioners is that you will fall down, okay? Whether it's once a week, once a month, once a year, the black belts in this space still have their system kind of fall down around them periodically and, you know, be at peace with that and just say, I'm going to be on this journey. And this is a never ending journey. I've probably been at it for 25 years, succeed and fail many times. But as long as you can say every once in a while, I'm going to have to 5S this back to the lean lean world of 5S, sort, set in order, shine, standalone, you know, stay, sustain, get your system cleaned up. No different. If your room gets, you know, all out of order or your office, there's the time to step back and clean it up and reset, whether you do that around a holiday, just before or after vacation. That's the reality. And I think my final step is I'm always asking others, how are you doing this? If I see somebody who's really good, always crowdsource to kind of add to your tool bag in this area. That is all great advice, Chris. I think also, you know, we've been talking so much about our own personal productivity. Uh, one of the things that uh, wanted to visit here towards the end was that as leaders, what should we be looking for in our own direct reports or even sometimes our, our peers to spot when people either they're taking on too much or they're not using the right tools and methods to get things done. Yeah, I think the, the first thing I would say is if you interact with people who historically have been on track in this space and you see that something has changed, you as a manager, you as a peer has said, I've always perceived that you were in good shape when it came to, to kind of getting things done. But recently I've seen you show up late for meetings. Um, miss some deliverables um, and or look really, you know, under the gun. Um, what's going on? Is there anything that that I might be able to to help you with? So I think that's that's first thing first. And in, in in the day in the world that we live in, most everybody who hears that message from you will appreciate that. There might be a few who who feel threatened about it, but most people would say, "Wow, you know, thank you for." for doing that, because if you're doing it in a sincere and, and, and empathetic way, people are going to, that's a lifeline that you can throw to somebody and you may find out, I've overcommitted. This class is way beyond what I expected. All of a sudden, I've got, you know, a, an issue at home, elder care that's thrown in over the top of me, and I'm just in the soup. And um, so I, I think that's clearly number one is people who, who, who have been under control and are not, okay? I think the second thing is, people who just, whether they're new in your team or organization, and maybe your pace and cadence and expectation is not something that they've had to deal with before. Um, and they look like right out of the gate that they're a deer in the headlights. And so I think getting to those folks before they get too far into the deep end and potentially offering them that support that they're not yet either aware of or comfortable asking for. 
Hey, Chris, I'll wrap up with one more question. I was just thinking about, you know, supply chain, the world that we live in and where fires do pop up. Um, and you think about where most of the employees exist within this overall supply chain world is, is really within the operations. And so you think about the folks that are out there in the front line that are working on uh, production lines or picking, packing and, you know, for uh, a fulfillment center. Um, obviously, that's different. You know, you've got productivity measures that you've got to meet. It, it's it's a grind. Uh, we appreciate all the work that these folks do to get our product made and to the end customer. But, you know, what about, is there anything you would offer up that might be a little bit different? Obviously, they're not sitting there and able to check email, but how, how might you apply these these elements of personal productivity to, to folks that are out in the operations? Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen examples recently as the last few weeks being in operational settings where those tools to deal with a real process and or a real project close to the work area, right? You've got some people who will do this either right on or off the floor where they've got, you know, a board, you know, for a big, large project or whatever. I, I know a client who's working to increase their output and they've broken up their, their project to increase their output into a work board that's next to their you know, weekly operations board, and they devote a few targeted hours a week to saying, we said we were going to try to work on this this week. Were we able to get this done? We knew a couple people were going to work on that. We've protected ourselves. This same situation, they, they're modifying a production line. They've, they've done some changes to shift schedule to create some planned non-production time where they can go in and, and do some tweaks to the production line setup. So I, I think even in an operational setting with the right level of leadership alignment, you can create some space to use some of these principles. Well, what's up next, Chris, uh, for episode five? What do you have next up on deck? Yeah, I think we're going to talk about collaboration uh, next. Yeah, as you said, there are... Um, there are a few situations out there where people work in isolation, but the reality is most cases um, we don't work solo. We don't work with robots all day. We do work with other people, whether they be internal to your team, internal to your organization or external in college. It's project teams. It's all kinds of, of settings. It's leadership opportunities on campus and that type of thing. How we work together. Um, is a huge differentiator for both an individual and a team. And so I think it'll be a good space for us to, to kind of dig into. I think it's another one of those differentiators in the workplace. Great. We're looking forward to it, Chris. Uh, thanks for a wonderful session today on personal productivity. Uh, thanks to our audience for listening, and we're looking forward to the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Supply Chain Careers Podcast. Be sure to listen to other episodes and sign up to be notified when future episodes are released as we continue to interview industry-leading supply chain experts. This podcast is made possible by SCM Talent Group, the industry-leading supply chain executive search firm. Visit SCM Talent Group at scmtalent.com. To search for or to post supply chain jobs, visit the Supply Chain Job Board at supplychaincareers.com.